Starting the Word Up has been fantastic for me. It goes everywhere I go, whether it's on the way to work or me listening to it while I'm jogging. It's with me everywhere I go. The year in the Word is so easy. Uh, it's quick and it's mobile, so even if you haven't been involved in a group uh, all year, you jump right in at any time. Good morning. It's great to see everybody. Welcome to Seacoast Church. My name is Josh Surratt. If I haven't met you, I hope I get a chance to, but we are glad that you're with us. Want to welcome all of you who might be joining us uh, at one of our campuses or maybe online. I know um, we've got our founding pastor, my dad, uh, Greg Surratt, joining us online from South Africa, his first ever trip to Africa, which is pretty cool, doing some uh, mission work, you could say. He's preaching at a church over there this weekend, and then they're having some meetings to uh, look at what it might look like to launch a church planting movement in Africa, much like the one that we've started here in the U.S. And so, Dad, we're glad that you're with us as well. Uh, also, if you're at one of our campuses, I want to give a shout out to the McClellanville campus. You know, the McClellanville campus has been averaging over 100 people every weekend this summer, and, and whatever campus you might be at, you might look around and go, well, 100 people, I don't know, is, is that good? That doesn't seem like a ton of people. Well, there's 500 people that live in the town of McClellanville. So that's 20% of the town of McClellanville attending Seacoast McClellanville. So yay, God, way to go, McClellanville. We're proud of you. And I'm um, excited about what God's doing. Also wanna um, acknowledge that I know school starts back for my kids this week. They go back to school on Tuesday, and that's, uh, that's good news. And, um, but, but I wanted to acknowledge the teachers, because uh, I know that for you, this is the beginning of a, a new year, uh, whether you're a teacher, administrator, or maybe a homeschool parent, but this is the start of a, a new season, and, and new students get ready to come in. And I wanna just acknowledge you. So if you're a teacher, you're in education, would you raise your hand? We just wanna say, Thank you so much for all that you guys do. I wanna pray for you too, because I know, I mean, just having three kids and knowing that you spend so much time uh, influencing and encouraging and equipping the next generation, uh, we, we just wanna pray for you as you launch into this new school year. So God, right now, we thank you for every teacher uh, that's here, that's at our campuses. We thank you for the way that they have committed their lives to serving the next generation, to educating and equipping the next generation. And so God, I just pray, Lord, that as they launch into this new year, that they would be full of vision, they'd be full of excitement, God, passion for what they're doing, that you would bring the exact right students into their classroom, Lord, that they can develop and shape and not only educate, but Lord, as they look at them, knowing that they are, uh, maybe they can or can't talk about their faith in their classroom, but knowing that, that, that they would model what it looks like to be a person who goes hard after God and, and who puts him first in all areas of their lives. So we pray for the school year, pray for the students and everything involved. We just can't wait to see what you're gonna do this year. And God, today, as we've gathered as your church, we didn't come just to play church. Uh, we came to hear and encounter a living God. And so God, we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us, that you'd open up our eyes and our ears. God, that myself personally, uh, anything that I have to say that's not from your heart, I just pray it would fall by the wayside, but that you would speak and use my lips and my voice to encourage the people that are here today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, I wanna talk to you today for a couple minutes about gap moments. You know, every generation has these gap moments, and, and, and what I mean by that are these are moments where the, the space between where I am today and what's going on in my life today and, and where I know that I wanna be or I need to be, 
where, where there's a space that's between that, that there's a gap between what's right and what is today. You know, you may even define them as a where were you when type of moment. You know, certain generations, I know my parents' generation, they would say a gap moment, a where were you then moment would be when President Kennedy was, was shot and assassinated. It's like, man, you go from things are all going okay and all of a sudden it's like, man, things are not, right? There is a gap moment here. It's obvious that things aren't the way they should be. The same could be said, obviously, for when Martin Luther King, an incredible civil rights activist, was killed as well. And it's like, man, I remember where I was. I wasn't alive, but, but that generation knows where you were in those gap moments. I know for my generation, the first one that I can remember like that was the space shuttle Challenger when that exploded. I don't know if you remember that, but in schools we were learning about space exploration. This was a huge, huge monumental moment for us as a country to celebrate together. I can remember with my, my siblings in our living room and we're kind of gathered around this box TV watching this moment and all of a sudden, you know, it explodes and it's like, man, things are not right. Of course, 9-11 is one that all of us can look back on and remember, 9-11's actually my birthday. Um, uh, some of you need a month or so to prepare for that. Well, Lisa or my parents, just you know, let you know that. But, but it was my birthday. Lisa had made us breakfast and you know, we turned the TV on and it's like, wow, the world will never be the same, a gap moment. You know, some of us have experienced those moments personally. It was that phone call that you got with news that was delivered that changed everything for you. I remember when Lisa called me through tears to tell me that her sister, 31 years old, was killed in a plane crash, obviously totally unexpectedly. It's like a gap moment, I remember that. Some of you remember the moment that your boss told you that you'd no longer be employed with the company or the moment where those bills came due or the foreclosure happened. We have these moments where it's like, man, things aren't the way that they should be. And, and honestly, I wanna address as well What's going on up in Charlottesville? What happened this weekend? You know, what a reminder of a gap that we're living in right now. There's a racial gap in our country that, that things aren't the way that they need to be. And you know, you can call it white nationalism or whatever, but what it is is it's racism, it's bigotry, it's sin. And whether you're white or black or Republican or Democrat, we should be a people that says, no, not on my watch. We're not gonna tolerate that kind of behavior. It's a gap moment for us. And so, so we have these, these, these moments where we realize, man, things aren't the way that they should be. And, and, and for some of us, we're in one, but others of us, maybe we, we know somebody who's, who's walking through one of these moments. Or, or we even look at our country and go, well, what do I do in light of that? I mean, even in the thing that we just talked about, sometimes we don't know what to do. How can I help? How can I be, be involved? Well, well, the Bible talks about these gap moments. And look what, look what God said in Ezekiel. He said, I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap. In the gap, what gap is he talking about? In this case, it was the nation of Israel. God's chosen people had turned their back on him and, and there was a gap between him and his people and he's looking for somebody to stand in the gap on behalf of the land so that I would not have to destroy it. But I found no one. You know, as I think about where we are as a country, where we are as a church, where we are in our lives. I pray that the Lord would look down upon his people and say, man, I see people who are willing to get in the gap, who are willing to step in and to, to serve and to help and to be a part of the solution. 
You know, in any gap moment in our history, there have been people who stepped up, who rose to the occasion to bring healing and to bring hope. And I'm believing that that's what God's calling us to do today. I was thinking about this this week and the, the, the thing that came to mind, football season starting up, uh, I love football season. Anytime football season starts up, I begin to think about and reflect on my own illustrious football career. Um, I'm kind of like Uncle Rico uh, in Napoleon Diamond. I had a great football I was really good in my own mind anyways, but, but I did, I played high school football, I was a quarterback, and we used to run a play uh, when, when I was playing high school football. My brother was a running back. He was a little smaller than me then. He still is a little bit smaller than me now. Um, right, Jay? But he, we would run this play called the 25 Trap. Uh, and he was, he was a running back, and because he was smaller and he was shifty, what we would do is everybody on the line would, would run to the left, um, and then Jason would sneak behind the, the line, he was a running back, and, and I would fake a handoff here, and I would give it to Jason, and he'd come behind the line, and nobody could see him, and when we would get out around the corner, one of two things were gonna happen on this play, every time we ran it. We would run it once or twice a game, and either he was gonna score a touchdown, or he was gonna be taken off the field on a stretcher. He was gonna get cream. Like, that was basically what was gonna happen. Because when he would get around the line, there was a gap, and there was one guy on the other team that had not been accounted for. And he was a linebacker, and he was not small. And, and so what we would do is we would have a lineman that would pull as well. The left guard would come out, and he'd get in front of Jason, and he'd get into this gap. And if he got into the gap, and if he blocked this guy, Jason would score a touchdown. And if he didn't, Jason would get tackled in the backfield. Uh, and, and, and I like to think of us as these people who would get into the gap, who, who would step into these moments that would pave the way for people to get to where God's called them to be. And so, so gap moments, what, what do we do? How do we, how do we handle these? We're looking at the, as a church, we've been reading through the Bible. We're in a series called Year in the Word, and we've been reading through the Bible, and every week we read through Scripture, and then we talk about something that we read on the weekend. And this weekend, we find the story of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah was a king back in uh, ancient Israel, and he really, when you look at his story, he was a guy who was in the gap moments. He had some crisis moments in his own life, but he also was a guy who stood in the gap on behalf of God's people and, and saw God deliver them through him. And so I want us to look at his story and look at what can we learn about gap moments. So if you have your Bibles, you may wanna open them up to the book of Hezekiah. Uh, you'll find that in the Old Testament. Actually, I'm just joking, there is no book of Hezekiah. That's something we Christians like to do, play games. People are like, let me see, I can't find it. You know, there's not a book of Hezekiah. It's actually in 2 Kings. But, um, but, but it's a story of Hezekiah, an incredible king. And let's look at what can we learn from these gap moments? How, how do we move forward in these moments of our lives? And the first thing that we can learn when we look at the story is when I'm in a gap moment, do the next right thing. Do, do the next right thing. Look at how we meet this king. It says, in the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. So Israel was broken up into two kingdoms at the time. They were divided kingdom, northern kingdom of Israel, southern kingdom of Judah. Hezekiah is the king of Judah, the southern kingdom. He was 25 years old when he became king. So he's a young guy, new leader. And it says, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He did what was right. He did the next right thing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. And you know, a lot of times, especially when we get into these crisis moments or when we're, we're facing a situation that we're, we're kind of confused as to what our next step is, we just need to simplify it and say, what's the next right thing for you to do? 
That's what he did, he did what was right. And what I love about this story is it actually goes through and it, it kind of unpacks that for us. What did Hezekiah do that was right? Three things that I saw, at least. The first thing he did is he cleaned out his junk. He cleaned out his junk. Look, he, it says he removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. But what's that all about? It says he broke into pieces the bronze snake that Moses had made for up to that time, the Israelites had been burning incense to it. You know, it can be easy to read this without context and be like, I don't even know really what that means. What these were is these were idols that previous generations had learned to live with, had been okay with, but he steps in and he's like, no, no, this isn't right. This isn't a right mindset. These idols are not to be worshiped. Even this bronze snake that Moses had set up, this, this was a symbol that was from a time that God showed up on their behalf. These weren't all bad things. It wasn't like they were worshiping Satan. They just had elevated good things into supreme things in their life. And, and this was a moment in Israel's history that should have been a benchmark moment, but they had made it a landmark moment. You know, th- th- and so he said, no, we gotta tear that down. We, we, we don't wanna live out of what God did for us in the past. We wanna be attuned to what God's doing for us today. They become idols in their life. And I wonder if in our own lives, if there's anything that needs to be torn down, smashed down, maybe an idol that we worship. Most of us don't have bronze statues or you know, weird pictures of snakes in our home, but we do have idols that have become, uh, they're good things a lot of times that have become God things in our lives. I love the way Tim Keller defined idolatry. He said a, a counterfeit God is anything that's so central and essential to your life, that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. Anything come to mind when you think about that? For most of us, it's not black tar heroin, right? It's not like we're struggling, but, but it's a good thing. Sometimes it's, it's things that, 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 man, your career, you know, your resources, your, your, your bank statements, it could be good things that you've kind of put them as God thing. It could even be your families. Our kids sometimes can become idols. And the Bible's like, man, that's not good. Now, don't literally go smashing them up. I think my parents took that verse literally, but that's not what it's saying. But here's the reality. If our kids, whom are blessings that God has given us, if they become things that we worship and, and, and center our lives around, they weren't created to handle that. They weren't created. It's gonna ultimately harm them and it's gonna harm you as well. And, and sometimes it's just mindsets. I can remember uh, my grandfather uh, on my mother's side, um, great, great guy, we, we loved him, uh, but he grew up in a different era. He grew up in a different age, and there were certain mindsets that he had and that his generation largely had that, that were not good. They weren't healthy. In fact, um, I can remember one time he was mugged he was almost 80 years old, just an old guy. He would go out and collect stuff, collect cans, and he was out collecting cans, and he was mugged by four African-American men. And um, they left him for dead. They asked him what time it was. He looked at his watch, and they left him for dead. Well, he thankfully survived it, was in the hospital ICU for a long time. And I came out a couple of years later, and I talked to him about that. And, and I won't get too, too far into it, but I asked him, Grandpa, did you know that, that they, these guys were up to no good? And he made a statement that essentially painted the entire ethnicity with these guys, with the same character as these guys. And, and again, 
a different generation, but the reality is what it was was racism. And, and what happens a lot of times, and, and I think this happened with Hezekiah, is there's just mindsets and ways of thinking that a generation either purposefully or unpurposefully passes on to a next generation. And we have to go, wait a minute, wait, no, that's not right. I had a moment right there where I could have said, you know what, I'm gonna adopt the mindset of my grandfather, but, I, but, but the Bible says we gotta smash those things down. And maybe some of us, we've kind of grown up in a home where we were taught to think certain things or certain ways about women or about a race or whatever, and we just need to be honest and clean out our junk and call it what it is and go, you know what, I'm not gonna live like that anymore. I'm gonna repent of that. I'm not gonna adopt that on my own. I'm not gonna pass that down to my kids. That's what Hezekiah did. He said, no, 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 we're gonna smash these things up. What needs to be taken down? What needs to be cleaned out? Do the next right thing. What, what was another right thing that he did? Well, the Bible says he put his trust in the Lord. He put his trust in the Lord. Look what the Bible says. It says, Hezekiah put his whole trust in the God of Israel. There was no king quite like him, either before or after. And it says, he held fast to God. And I love this imagery, never loosening his grip. Never loosening his grip. And he obeyed to the letter everything that God had commanded Moses. So he put his trust in God, and that feels so basic, right? But the reality is that what he had been taught up to that point is to put his trust in his family name. You know, I mean, his dad was a king, grandpa was a king. Been very easy for him to just put his trust, 25-year-old guy, all the power that one could want. Be very easy to put his trust in, in his own abilities and his family heritage but from the very beginning, he said, no, no, no. I'm gonna put my trust, and I'm gonna set my heart, and I'm gonna set my mind on putting my trust in God. And here's where I think we, we, we get it wrong. Most of us would say, yeah, I put my trust in, in God, uh, big picture. But we live, in, and in this case, in our campus, Mount Pleasant. We live, most of us, in America. And, 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 and compared to everybody else, we, we're in a resource-rich environment. It can be very easy Unless we consciously say, no, 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 I'm putting my trust in God. I'm recognizing that, that the things that make me or break me financially, spiritually, and my, my growth, my career, they're gonna be things that the Lord blesses in my life. I'm gonna put my trust, I'm gonna put him first in my life. If we don't do that consciously, then we're gonna end up putting our trust in our stuff and our things and in, in, in our status and whatever it might be. But he made a conscious choice. No, I'm trusting God. Another thing that he did that's interesting to me is he made worship a priority. He made worship a priority. Uh, Hezekiah's story is told more than any other story in the Old Testament. Scripture dedicates time to it in 2 Kings, in 2 Chronicles, in the book of Isaiah, as well as several other mentions throughout the Old Testament. And in 2 Chronicles, it gives another, sheds kind of a, a different light on it. It says, in the first month of the first year of his reign, he opened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. In the first month of the first year, he opened the doors. What had happened is during his dad's reign, the temple doors went into disrepair and they just didn't fix them. They closed the temple. But, but Hezekiah, first thing, remember, put God first and you're like, the first thing he did as king is he said, no, we're gonna fix the doors and we're opening up the temple. I'm gonna make worship a priority in my life. And worship is gonna be a priority in our kingdom and the way we do things. And I'm preaching to the choir today because you're here this weekend, but I wanna encourage you uh, he hadn't really entered into a gap moment yet. 
The crisis hadn't happened yet, but he started by, you know what, I'm gonna make worship a priority because what we find out is he was gonna need some things from the Lord later that he did it while things were going well. Uh, his behavior while things were going well would ultimately come back to help him when things weren't. He made worship a priority right from the outset. And so, so he did, did the right thing, did the right thing in the eyes of the Lord. And you know, I kind of wish that there was a period there and then it said, and they lived happily ever after, right? Like, it'd be great. And a lot of times we think that's how it's supposed to work. I'm gonna commit my life to Christ. I'm gonna make God a priority in my life and then I'm gonna expect that everything's gonna go perfectly. Well, well the reality is that's just not how life works. And it's not how things worked for Hezekiah. For 14 years, it says things went well. Uh, the, the, the kingdom expanded, they, they won some battles, they expanded their territory. But then in year 14, the crisis happened for him. The crisis happened for him. Let's, let's look what happened. It says, in the 14th year of his reign, Sennacherib. Now that's kind of a big word, Sennacherib. So this is the king of Assyria and we're gonna call him snack of ribs. That's just easier for me to get my mind around. I like snacks, I like ribs. So snack of ribs is the king of Assyria. And by the way, Assyria is like the world power. I mean, they, they have all the power. They've got the best military. They've got the, the biggest and baddest people on the block, right? They attacked all the fortified cities of Judah and they captured them. So Snack of Ribs and his crew, they're conquering all kinds of other countries. In the 14th year of Hezekiah's reign, they set their attention on Judah. And they're like, we're gonna go after you. And so they attack all the, country, the, the fortified uh, cities. And now all that's left is Jerusalem, which is the kind of center capital of Judah. And that's where King Hezekiah is. And so what he does is Snack of Ribs decides, I'm gonna send my entourage to Jerusalem to send a message to the king. And so he sends them. I imagine it was mashed potatoes, macaroni and cheese, collard greens. All of his boys kind of went together and they, they go to, they go to Ju Judah. They go to the city gates and they call for the king. Well, Hezekiah sends his guys out to, to see what's going on. And they begin to speak in Hebrew, the language that everybody can hear, all the people that are hanging around in the city uh, center, the people that are hanging around on the wall. They begin to talk about what, Assyria has planned. The fact that they're gonna conquer them, that everybody's now gonna become our slaves, and that things are getting ready to get really, really bad. Basically, they come, remember, the most powerful country on the planet at that time begins to put fear and anxiety and threats into the minds and into the lives of these people, totally undermining Hezekiah. And so Hezekiah's guys are like, hey, listen, we actually speak uh, Aramaic, and so why don't we have this conversation in Aramaic and not in Hebrew, because we don't want all these people to hear what you're saying. And, and look, look what they said. They, they responded to him and said, we weren't sent with a private message to your master and you. This is public, a message to everyone within earshot. They say, after all, they're involved in this as well as you. If you don't come to terms, they will be eating, this is the Bible, not me, they will be eating their own turds and drinking their own pee right along with you. That's the message version. Thank you, Eugene Peterson. But uh, basically, they're like, you know what? Like, we want everybody to know what life's getting ready to be like for you. We want everybody to know what we're getting ready to do. And, and literally, this is a gap moment 
for Hezekiah. This is a crisis moment for him. Now, some of you are looking at your outline sheets and you're like, what is the fill in the blank? He didn't say the fill in the blank. I'm getting to it right now. You guys, come on, I, I got you. So uh, what, what, what did he do? What, what, did, what did Hezekiah do? He got a fresh word for his situation. And, and for us, when we face these moments, we need to get a fresh word for our situation. Get a fresh word from God. Look what he did. When King Hezekiah heard this, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and he went in to the temple of the Lord. Tore his clothes and went straight to the temple of the Lord. He said, God, I need, I need a word from you. I need a fresh word for this situation. And you know, a lot of times, when especially we're in one of these gap moments, maybe we feel distant from God spiritually. Maybe we've got a relational gap issue that we're facing. A lot of times we wanna kinda isolate ourselves. And the thing we need most is to step towards God to get a word from him. But the thing that we kinda tend to do is, is run away from him. But, but Hezekiah knows, man, this is a time. This is one of those moments I gotta step in. I gotta lean in to my relationship with God. So he comes to the temple and he actually sends some of his men to go see the prophet Isaiah. And he's like, well, you just, well, we need a word from God here. Well, I don't know. Do we retreat? Do we surrender? Do we fight? What do we do? I don't know what to do. So he sends his men to go connect with Isaiah. And I love the, the message that he sends Isaiah, who is the prophet, the man of God at the time. Because it's just real. It's just raw. There's no like religious pretense in this. He says, this is a black day, a terrible day, doomsday. Babies poised to be born, but no strength to birth them. It's like, Isaiah, we're, we're in a bad, bad spot right now. Like this is just stinks. And he, and he says, maybe God, your God, has been listening to the blasphemous speech of, of that guy who was sent by the king of Assyria, his master, to humiliate the living God. Maybe, maybe God heard that. Maybe God was offended by that. Maybe God knows what's going on. It's not, there's not a lot of confidence here. This isn't like one of these, I'm gonna just, you act like I've got it all together. He's just being really raw and real with what's going on. And he says, maybe God, your God, won't let him get by with such talk. And you, maybe, maybe you could lift up prayers for what's left of these people. Like we're kind of at the end of our rope here. The Assyrian army, by the way, had about 250,000 soldiers at their disposal. At this point in Judah, they're down to, historians say, around 10,000. And, and so you're talking about a mismatch. You're talking about a very, very difficult situation. And he goes and he says, I need a word from God. Perhaps you might lift up some prayers. Give me some direction. I don't know what to do. And, and you know what happens is Isaiah sends a word, a fresh word for that situation. He says, I want you to stay the course. God is going to deliver you. I want you to stay the course. And I love that because it's out of that fresh word. It's out of that that word from the Lord that, that Hezekiah now has the, the courage to lead and to go, okay, God's given me a word, I'm gonna step towards that. And, and what God told them is actually, they're gonna get distracted with some other stuff that's going on in their kingdom, and they're gonna leave. Just stay the course. You don't have to fight, you don't have to mess with them, they're gonna leave. He got a fresh word for the situation. And here's what I want you to know. I can't tell you how many times where I've faced a gap moment 
a, a place where I don't know what the next right thing is to do. And, and in this house, in worship, God's spoken something into my heart or in a small group, somebody said, hey, have you considered this perspective? And it's like, oh, I so needed that. Or in God's word, you know, as we're reading through the word, I wanna encourage you, some of you have kind of given up on that or maybe you feel like you're so far behind. I'm behind a little bit. Let's jump back in because God oftentimes in his word has a fresh thing for you for the circumstance or the situation that you're facing. And in fact, next week, we're gonna kick off a brand new series that'll be kind of a sub-series within this, but we're gonna spend the next six weeks on a series called Start Here and we're gonna be going through the Gospel of John. And man, God has got so much great stuff in the life of Jesus. And if you need a fresh start, or maybe you know somebody who needs a fresh start spiritually or just kind of a restart to the year, this series is gonna be fantastic. But get a fresh word from God. Don't isolate yourself. Get a fresh word from God. And so, so God gives him this word. He, he's like, all right, we're gonna stay put and exactly what God said would happen happens. And I love it when it goes that way. It's like, man, they get distracted the, the, the king calls for his people, says, I need you to come somewhere else, and they leave him alone, and that's fantastic. And it would be a great time to have a period, <laughs> and uh, they lived happily ever after, but they didn't. One day, um, King Hezekiah's doing his thing and minding his business, and he goes out to the mailbox, and, and he gets a letter in the mail. And the letter is from his old buddy, Snack of Ribs. And uh, it's like, oh, interesting. I wonder what he's reaching out about. You know, I wonder if maybe he's written to apologize. You know, he said some pretty, pretty mean things and maybe he's kind of convicted around those things. See what, see what Snackeribs has to say. And so he opens this letter and actually has an envoy read it to him, but, but he, he opens the letter and he begins to read it. And here's what this letter says. And I want you to remember that this letter is not from an old friend, this letter is from the most powerful person on the planet. This letter is from the king of the most powerful nation on the planet. And so he opens up this letter and here's what it says. It says, dear King Hezekiah, don't let that God that you think so much of keep stringing you along with the line, Jerusalem will never fall to the king of Assyria. That's a barefaced lie. And I imagine as he's, reading this letter, I don't know if his heart begins to race a little bit, kind of anxiety, fear, this isn't a good letter. This is not good news. And he continues to read. The letter says, you know the track record of the kings of Assyria? Country after country laid waste, devastated. And what makes you think that you'll be an exception? Take a good look at these wasted nations destroyed by my ancestors. Did their gods do them any good? I know you're kind of banking on your God. Did their gods do them any good? And he goes into detail. These aren't empty threats. He says, look at Gozan, Haran, Rezeph, the people at Eden, at Tel Asar. Ruins, they're gone. Those countries are no more. And then the letter gets a little personal. It says, what's left of the king? He's writing this letter to King Hezekiah. You think you're a king? You think you're in, in, in good shape? The king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of Sepharvaim, the king of Hena, of Iva. What's left of them? Bones. They're dead. Like, this is it for you. And, and I, don't, I don't know if I can even convey the weight 
that this letter must have had. This is, this is terrible news. God, I thought you said that we were gonna be okay. I thought you said that they would get distracted with us. I've done what's right. I've, I've gotten rid of the idols. I've, I've worshiped you. I've trusted you. I've, I've listened to you when you've spoken to me. And here I am getting this letter that's devastating. And I wonder how many of you have received a letter like this. You know, whether that be news about your health, whether that be divorce papers, a pink slip, whatever news that you may have received, it's like, man, really? God, I, th- I, don't, I don't know how to move forward here. And so we're in another gap moment. We're in one of these critical moments where he doesn't know what to do. And, and, and so what do we do? Last thought for us, and this is what he did. Lay out your obstacles before the Lord. Lay out your obstacles before the Lord. So he gets this letter, and I, I love what he does with it. It says that um, Hezekiah took the letter from the envoy, he read it, and then he went back to the temple, because that was something that he'd made a priority in his life. And he went and he leaned on some things that he had kind of made a, made a habit for him. He went back to the temple of God, and it says he spread it out before God. There it is, God. You read it. Like, this is the obstacle. I don't know what to do now. And he puts the letter out and he lays it out before God. And I don't know what his posture was, but, but I know that it says that he prayed. And in the message version, it says, oh, how he prayed. This wasn't like a, Lord, thanks for this food. This was a, God, I need you to show up. And I imagine he, he gets down on his knees and he's like, God, I, I, I don't know what to do. I'm just gonna put this here in front of you. And, and he prays, and, and, and it says that he prays, he says, you are the one and only God. Remember Sennacherib's letter? It said, I don't know what you think that God's gonna do for him. And he reframes it. He says, no, you're not just a God. You are the one and only God. God, you're the only one that can make this right. You're sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth. You're the maker of heaven and you're the maker of earth. And sometimes when we're in these gap moments, we just have to remind ourselves that there is a God who is all powerful, who is all sovereign. And that's what he does. He says, God, you are God. And he says, open up your ears, God, and listen. Open up your eyes and look. Like, God, can you see me? Because it doesn't feel like you're, you're involved here. It doesn't feel like you're listening. It doesn't feel like you're watching. God, open up your ears. It says, look at this letter. I'm just laying it out here before you. I don't know if you can read or not, but look at this letter that this king has, has sent me. It's a brazen insult to the living God. And then he says, the facts are true, oh Lord. Like this isn't fake news. This is the reality. This king has done what he said he's done. The kings of Assyria, they've laid waste to countries and kingdoms, huge bonfires that they've made of their gods. So he's not sugarcoating it. He's like, God, I don't know what to do. Like this is the reality that I'm facing. But then he remembers, laid waste to their gods. He said, no, they're, they're no gods. They're handmade from wood and stone. But now our God, our God, save us 
from the raw Assyrian power. Make all the kingdoms of earth know that you are God, the one and only God. There it is. God, this is what I'm dealing with right now. And I don't, I don't have the, the power, I don't have the wisdom, I can't fix this problem on my own. So I need you to move. I need you to do something. I don't know what else to do. And I wonder how many of us are facing a situation that we just need to lay it out before God. Say, I, I don't have the answers. I can't fix this problem. I can't make this pain go away. I can't make this grief go away. I don't know how to move forward. But God, I need you to move. You know, there have been many times in my own life where we've just kind of had to get to that point of I, I can't solve this. I'm in a gap moment. One that comes to mind is Lisa and I in our marriage. For two years, we're in a gap. We're, we're, we just couldn't fix it. We'd gone to counseling, we'd done as much as we could do, but it felt like we would take one step forward and two steps back and it was just a gap moment. There was mistrust, there was anxiety, there was fear, there was just, it was just hard. And I can remember one night after a first Wednesday, uh, we kind of felt like God gave us a word. It was like, man, we don't know what else to do. And so we got home after a, a time of worship and we literally grabbed a sheet of paper and we wrote out the gap. We just wrote it like mistrust, fear, betrayal, you know, the fear of being blindsided again. Just wrote it all out. And we grabbed the shovel and we went into our backyard and we dug a hole in the sod in our yard. And it was 10 o'clock at night and our neighbors probably still wonder what's in that hole. <laughs> but we didn't know what else to do. We'd kind of done everything we knew to do and so we wrote this stuff down and we just stuck it in the hole and we buried it. And it was our way of saying, God, here it is. Like we, we, we don't know what else to do. And, and I'd love to say, man, everything got better the next day. It didn't all get better the next day, but you know what we had is we had a line in the sand. We had a moment that we could cling to and go, no, 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 we buried that. We're, we're done, we moved past that. God is delivering us from that. And, and it was a faith building moment for us. And I wonder how many of us have got a situation, a circumstance, a gap that we just need to do something with it. Lay it out before God, spread it out before him and say, God, I need you. I need you to move on our behalf. You know, um, some of you history nerds will, will, will appreciate this, but the, actually the historians have gone back and they've discovered King Sennacherib's palace. They, they dug it out and, and they found these columns. They call them Sennacherib's prisms. And on these columns, he had actually written out the names of the countries that they had defeated. And he would write like a short little synopsis of what happened. You know, he'd give the name of the country and this is how we defeated them. Well, the very last one on this column, he had written out Jerusalem and he was talking about this battle. And I love it when history confirms what the Bible says. And by the way, there's no other book that has been confirmed in so many different ways than the scripture. It's, it's incredible. But what it says is Sennacherib had written out Jerusalem and the description that he wrote was trapped like a bird in a cage. And that's the last that we hear from him. Trapped like a bird in a cage. 250,000 soldiers surrounding the city of Jerusalem. And yet, God delivered his people. It's an incredible story if you go back and read it. One night, the night 
that he prayed this prayer, they wake up the next morning and 185,000 Assyrian soldiers are dead <laughs> without, without any fight. And, and history tries to tell the story, they try to explain it, maybe it was cholera or maybe there was some disease that outbroke. The reality is, is God delivered his people in a situation where there was no other way and God made a way. And so friends, I don't know what gap moment you're facing today, but I wanna encourage you, do the next right thing. Don't get paralyzed in fear and just, God, what's the next right thing? Get a fresh word from God. Lay your, your obstacles out before him and watch him move on your behalf. And, 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 and then let's, let's celebrate and sing about a God who would deliver his people time and time again, a God who makes a way when there seems to be no way. Would you pray with me as we close? God, I thank you. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this church. It's an incredible group of people. And God, right now I lift up those of us who are here today and we would say, man, I'm in a gap moment. There is a vast space between where I'm at right now and where I know I wanna be, whether that be in our relationships or finances or spiritually. And God, I just pray, Lord, that you would give wisdom, that you would speak a fresh word. Lord, you give us the courage to take the next right step and that you would deliver your people from whatever it is that we're facing. God, I pray for our country right now. Lord, we pray for the gaps that we see, the division that exists. Would you allow us to be a people who step in, who be a voice of hope, who be a voice of unity, Lord, who say, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna bridge this gap. I'm gonna be a person who's gonna be helpful to do the next right thing in this situation. And would you bring restoration, healing? Lord, that you, you would just, your will would be done and your kingdom would come in every way. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.